Hello, my friends, and welcome back for this week's episode of the Practical Parsha podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn. I hope you are well. This week, we say, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazak, on Shabbos, and we're going to read the Torah. At the end of Parsha's Vayechi, which is this week's Parsha, we are going to finish the first of the five books of the Torah. We're finishing the book of Genesis. So we say, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazak, that we should... Be strong, be strong, and we should be strengthened. I'm so happy that every week so far in this cycle, I've been able to, thank God, put out an episode. And my blessing is, chazak, chazak, venis chazak, that God willing, I should have the strength to continue. And I hope you are strengthened from the messages and thoughts that I share. And as always, before we begin, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, suggestions, please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayechi. Now, Parsha's Vayechi primarily deals with the death of Yaakov Avinu, the death of Jacob, and the special blessings that he gives to each one of his children before he passes on. Additionally, Yaakov, as he sees it's his time to pass on, he gives clear instructions to his son Yosef, who's the ruler of Egypt, as how he should deal with him after he dies, where he should be buried, and gives him instructions on what to do. Before I begin with a few thoughts on this week's Parsha, I wanted to just talk about something which has become a custom in many Jewish communities over the past few years. So, as I talked about before, Parshas Vayechi deals with the end of the life of Jacob and the instructions that he gives to his children on how he should be buried and where he should be buried. And the Torah tells us clearly how Yaakov gives clear instructions to his son Yosef to make sure that he does not get buried in Mitzrayim, in the land of Egypt, but rather is taken after his death to the land of Israel. And it's become a custom of sorts in many communities that on the Shabbos of Parshas Vayechi, the the rabbi of the community will speak about end-of-life issues. And, you know, obviously it's not something which we like to talk about. And it's not something we want to think about. But it's something that needs to be spoken about. And it's actually interesting. The commentaries tell us that Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, was actually the first person to get weak and sick before he died. And the reason that 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 was so is that Jacob asked for a, a time period to know that he's going to pass on so he can give on instructions to his children, to give blessings to his children, to make sure everything is carried out in the proper way. And the, the lesson that... I want to convey, you know, we're, we're going to have our own Shabbos Vayechi, our own, um, you know, gathering of end-of-life issues because we are sort of our own little community in the Practical Parsha podcast uh, family. And what I really just want to talk about momentarily is this idea that we it's all very important to us to live as Jews. We do, we do things every day that, you know, it's recognizable that we're doing it because we're Jewish, because Hashem gave us instructions on what we're supposed to do, and we live as a Jew. We're proud on, on the way we live. We're proud that we're Jewish. We're proud of our heritage. 
But it's not just living as a Jew that's important, but it's also important to make sure that we die as a Jew. Now, it could seem overwhelming, it could seem scary, but the point is is that it's become customary during these this week, the Shabbos, that people should make sure that their the, the instructions are there for their family members, that if, God forbid, something happens to them, or after 120 years, everyone should live long and healthy lives, say, Amen, that the instructions are there for the children on, on how a person should be buried, that they should be buried according to halacha, they should not be cremated, that that when there's instructions on, on, on what to do when someone's uh, not responsive, you know, there's a lot of halachos, there's a lot of parts of Jewish law that affect this area of life. Unfortunately, many people don't realize that halacha, Jewish law, governs death as well. There's, they just know, maybe people just know certain parts of the halachos, such as Kaddish or mourning, but a Jew has to be buried in a certain way. And, you know, it's important that people give clear instructions or set up a will or set up, you know, different protocols that their wishes and their desires be carried out after they pass on. Unfortunately, you know, in my field of work, I've dealt with stories of people who live their lives as proud Jews, but due to circumstances, I guess, that just happened in their life, maybe they never took care of this issue, or they never expressed clearly to their children that they wanted to be buried properly according to halacha, they ended up um, maybe cremated, they ended up in a situation which was not the way a Jew should be um, put to rest after 120 years. So if I could just give a little bit of a, uh, I guess, a, a strengthening here, especially when it comes to Shabbos Vayechi, is that, again, if people should just think about this topic, it doesn't have to be scary, it's just that it should be set up beforehand that people shouldn't just assume that, oh, you know, everyone will take care of it in the proper way. You know, it should be communicated, it should be put clearly in writing if necessary. And there's actually a resource which I'm going to give it to everybody, and it's a, a great resource. It's called NASC, and I'll leave the link in the show notes. You can look there for all the resources about, you know, Jewish end-of-life issues. And I don't want to get into it here, but, you know, people could speak to their rabbis or they could look at this resource that I'm going to put on this on the show notes, this NASC. And there's many resources for a person to just know and to look and to, to, to glean from, to help them to make the best decision possible. And one last point on this idea that I'm sharing is that it's brought down that if a person makes these preparations in their lifetime, it's actually a segula. It's a good omen for a good life. So someone who, who makes the preparations for after 120. Now, so it's a, it's a, it, it's a, it lends a person that God willing that they should have a long and fruitful life. The first idea I wanted to share with you today takes us to the blessings that Yaakov, the Jacob, gives to the children of Yosef. Now, it's very interesting because out of all the Shvatim, only the sons of Yosef received the special blessing. And in fact, they were included as equals to the rest of the brothers. And the Torah tells us that Yaakov blessed Ephraim and Menashe. And part of the blessing that he gave to them was that when the Jewish people would bless their children, they, they would say, 
May God make you like Ephraim and Menashe. And that's the custom. When parents come home Friday night from Shul, they bench their children. They give them a special bracha. Um, that, and for the boys, it's Yesimcha Elohim Ke Ephraim Mechum Menashe. That may God make you like Ephraim and Menashe. And then we say the Yivarecha blessing. And for girls, it's Yesimech Elohim Ke Sarifka Rachel Valeah. May God make you like Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. And then you follow with the Yivarecha blessing. And really the question that is asked by the commentaries is why is it that when we bless our children, our boys, we say that they should be like Ephraim and Menashe? Why were they the ones that were chosen that it's by them that we aspire our children should be like? We see by the girls, it's it's the matriarchs. It's Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Leah. You know, shouldn't it be that when we ask for the boys, it should be the patriarchs? We should say, May Hashem make you like Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So obviously there's something special here about Ephraim and Menashe, and that's the reason that why we're giving the bracha to our children. We want them to be like them. But the question is, is, What's special about them? Why were they the ones that we bless our children to be like? And there's different answers that are given, but one I want to focus in on today is this, is this idea about potential. As Jews, we believe that every generation further away from Har Sinai, from Mount Sinai, were not as clear, were not as sharp as the previous generation, meaning the tradition you know, is strong, but it's one more step removed. And we see that previous generations, the leaders, the people, were on a much higher level. They, they knew much more. They were bigger Torah scholars. And you know, although we have different uh, positive attributes about our generations, which previous generations did not have, I mean, nowadays, there's more people than ever that are studying Torah. There's more yeshivos on one block in Brooklyn than there was in the whole Europe. So obviously we have our, uh, our milas, we have our, our, our positive traits about our generation. But for sure, we're not on the same level of greatness as the previous generations. Now, sometimes God sends us a person, a leader, who's so great, it's as if they were from the previous generation. You know, one classic example is the Vilna Gaon, is the... Gona Vilna, Elio Kramer of Vilna, who lived in the 1700s, his opinion has given the weight sometimes of a Rishon, of somebody who came from the previous generation because he was so great. It was almost as if he was a blast from the past and God gave him to, to the generation that he lived in. But he was really greater than the whole generation. And, you know, we have there's different leaders that are like that. They're just... They, they're just so great, it's as if they're from a blast from the past. And the, the lesson here that is special about Ephraim and Menashe and why they're the ones that we bless our children is because Ephraim and Menashe merited that they were equals with their uncles. They became like one of the brothers. It says, Ephraim and Menashe Kiruvain vi Shimon Yuli. That Ephraim and Menashe are equal to Ruven and Shimon. And when the land of Israel split up, they got a portion, just like Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, all the other tribes. They were so great that they were, they were like a blast from the past. They were, like, they were from the previous generation. And the lesson here is, is that 
they were able to fulfill their potential to such an extent that it's considered that they are like the last generation. And that's the blessing for our children we want to give. We don't want them to sell themselves short. We want them to, to go for the stars, to be great, to, to, to overfill their potential, to be more than they could be. And really for ourselves as well, when we think of our goals in life, one of the things that we should constantly have in our mind is reaching our potential. When we daven every day in the Shemona Esrei, in Shema Koleiner, in the Shema Koleiner prayer, in the Amidah, in the Shemona Esrei, there's a section there where we could ask for anything. And some people have this custom of asking that God should help them fulfill their potential. And ultimately, that's, that's what we all want. We want to be the best we can be. We don't want to sell ourselves short because after a life well-lived, we want to look back at our life and look at all the accomplishments we had, not all the accomplishments we should have had or could have had. So the blessing we give to our children and really we could take the message for ourselves is focusing on fulfilling our potential to being the most we can be. And I think when you have that focus and you have that attitude, it helps push you just a little bit more when see, things seem a little bit hard, just to go a little bit out of your comfort zone, to do something maybe that you're not 100% comfortable doing, but to do it, it's the right thing. I want to do it. You know, Hashem's going to be proud, and we're thinking about the end goal in mind, and it sort of helps us get to that point. The second idea I wanted to share with you today takes us to the blessing that Yaakov gave to his son, Yisachar. Yaakov gave a different blessing to each one of his children which exemplified and brought out the strength of each child. And Yisachar is compared to a chamor, to a donkey, who carries a heavy load. Now, Yaakov in his blessing says an interesting verse, which we're going to look at today. It says in the Torah, when, it, when Yaakov is giving the blessing to Yisachar, it says, Vayar menucha kitoiv shichmo lispo. And about Yisachar, Yaakov said, and he saw that rest was good and the land that it was pleasant, and he bowed his shoulder to beer. And Rashi explains over there that even though Yisachar saw his portion in the land of Israel was a good portion, the land was good, meaning there was a lot of money to be made in the agriculture industry in his, in his portion of the land of Israel, he sort of left that to the side and decided to put him on himself the yoke of Torah. And it's known that the tribe of Yisachar, what they did is they studied Torah and Zavulan, who was you know, engaged in commerce, supported the tribe of Yisachar and together they had a agreement where half of the learning, the reward for learning would go to Zavulan and half of the Zavulan's profit would go to Yisachar to help them be supported. And Tremendous Torah scholars came out of the tribe of Yisachar. Now, it's, there's a question that really needs to be asked over here. And it, when it comes to peace of mind and how to get true peace of mind. And from the Pasuk, it gives us a, a direction. It gives us clarity on how we get to everlasting peace of mind in all situations. There's a question that's brought down from Rabbi Yeruchim Levavitz. He asks, why was the Torah given in a desert, in the Sinai, with nothingness, with just sand? 
wouldn't it make more sense that after the people came into the land of Israel, where they set themselves up and they had all the necessities that they needed and they had a community and everything was peaceful, they had a home where the environment is the most conducive for Torah study, then God should have given the Torah to the Jewish people. Why did he give the Torah when the Jewish people were in the desert? They weren't. They were living out of tents. They are constantly traveling. It was not comfortable. Why did he give the Torah then? He should have given it when they're all peaceful and they had peace of mind and it was the optimal environment for learning. Right? What was the, the lesson and what was the point of doing it in the Sinai, in the desert? And he explains that the reason why God gave the Torah to the Jews in the desert specifically is because he wanted the Jewish people to know and remember that true peace of mind is not by having things and and then, you know, being able to learn Torah afterwards. It's by knowing and remembering and internalizing that the Torah is something we always need to do. We always need to learn. And we always need to, you know, be attached to in all circumstances. And from that comes out peace of mind. And really just to help us understand this a little bit is this idea that when the, when the army, when the navy trains, you know, and really the more elite the units get, the more intense the training gets as well. You know, think of the Navy SEALs, the Marines. They don't train for optimal circumstances. They prepare for the worst. That whatever is the, 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 the most desperate situation, the hardest situation, that's what they prepare for. Because in the battlefield, they can't expect that they're going to have their luxuries of life. And they can't expect that they're going to have everything they need to have at any given moment. Because that's the nature of war. It's to win the battle, to overcome your enemy, to to save your country. And the idea is is that when a person has that mission, has that, that thought process of winning the war, you know, defeating the enemy... So then they're able to, to keep that goal in mind. So then they're ultimately able to, to be victorious and get that peace of mind. When it comes to the Torah and our connection to it, we have to remember that what's our ultimate goal in life? And when we internalize this observation, we're always traveling on this road toward this one point, this goal, this objective. So no matter what stress comes up in life, it doesn't shake us. Because just like the soldier is able to operate in even the hardest conditions, because he has a certain peace of mind. He trained for this. He knows what he needs to do. He has his mission. He needs to complete it. And therefore, he could work with that peace of mind. So to us, when it comes to life, if we first try to have that physical pleasure, that physical enjoyment, that physical, that peace of mind that we seek by, by doing things and adding things, so then, you know, another situation in life will just come up. There's, there's no such thing as flatlining in life. There's always ups and downs. And we have to know how to handle the ups and downs throughout our life. So if we have a, a point we're trying to get to and we know where we're going, so then it doesn't, it shouldn't shake us. If we're able to 
get it to our core that we know what we're doing and we know where we're going, nothing should be able to shake us. I'm, this is obviously something which is a high level to strive for, but it's something we can all relate to in our lives and really takes us back to this idea of Yisachar because Yisachar was saying that they saw that you know life, that rest was good and the land was pleasant, but what did they do? They reapplied themselves. They kept going at it because they saw that true peace of mind comes from applying yourself in every situation and knowing your true objective and your true goal of where you want to go and where you want to get to. And I think a very practical way where this manifests itself in life is that sometimes people think that in the situation in life they're in, that's where they're having you know X, Y, and Z problems. But if I just do you know this or that, for example, you know when I get married, things will be different. Or when I have kids, things will be different. Or when the kids are out of the house, things will be different. Meaning it's always the same issues and same problem and challenges that are coming up throughout our life. And no change in circumstances is necessarily going to just be a magical pill to solve everything. Granted, there are times when we need to change things and change the dynamics. That's a given. But my point is is that, you know, working on ourselves to be to have peace of mind, true peace of mind, is not going to just happen by changing our circumstances because no, even if we change our circumstances, things happen, life happens, you know, there's stressful times, more stressful times, and we have to know how to deal with life in every situation. So if we have the goal and the mission of where we're going and we keep it always in mind and that's a level to strive for, we'll be on our way to having true peace of mind. So with that, I'm going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed if you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlamokon, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. Have a great day.